Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Groups and director of the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I'm thrilled that my guest today is Dr. Stephen Stosny. He's the founder of Compassion Power. He's a renowned author and media consultant on relationships, anger, and abuse. Dr. Stosny grew up in a violent home, and he learned the healing power of compassion from his abused mother. Welcome, Dr. Stosny. It's a thrill to have you on the show. Well, I'm pleased to be here. So one of the things that we were talking about in the minutes before we went on the air is the power of compassion and the sense that some people have that being in a place of compassion is vulnerable for them. And you said a very interesting thing to me. Can we talk a little bit about the power of compassion? Yes, the name of my organization is Compassion Power, and that derives from the fact that you're actually more powerful when you're compassionate than when you're angry or resentful. For one thing, compassion stimulates the upper prefrontal cortex of your brain where most of your intellectual power is. You can see other perspectives then, and when you're angry or resentful, you can't see other perspectives. And you're actually less likely to internalize other people's bad behavior because you will see that their behavior is coming out of their vulnerability. So you're actually less likely to be emotionally injured when you're compassionate than when you're angry or resentful. So a lot of people going through divorce might want to say, you know, yeah, but what about my perspective? You know, they're not listening to me. And doesn't it hurt me if I can be compassionate to their perspective, but they're not being compassionate to me? What do you think about that? Well, we have a concept called compassionate assertiveness. That's when you stand up for your rights and privileges in a way that respects the rights and privileges of your opponent in this case, because your opponent is probably the parent of your children. So it's not like other kinds of adversarial situations. Because anything that hurts a parent of your children hurts your children. That's just the way our brains are designed. Yeah. So you will stand up for your rights, but you'll do it in a more compassionate way. And it is very difficult for people to maintain hostility to someone who's compassionate. It's possible to do it, but it's difficult. Whereas if you fail at compassion, you're actually making it easier for the other side to get more aggressive, hostile, and even less than ethical. Yeah, it's definitely a downward spiral when each person takes it to the next level of dirty play or anger or hostility and becomes more and more entrenched in their own position and their own view with a little perspective on the other person's view. Yeah, their perspective becomes very narrow and rigid. And that's not personalities. That's what anger is actually designed to do. It's a survival emotion, and if you're being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, all you want to know is that it's a threat. You don't want to know about its kittenhood right. <laughs> or, or how many cubs it has at the nest and it has to feed or whether it's on the endangered species list. You just focus on that one negative aspect and amplify and magnify it. You do the same thing when you're angry at someone you love or used to love. 
all right, so our listeners are out there thinking, that sounds great, Dr. Snosny, but how do I bring myself to do that when the feeling is all there and I feel so affronted and betrayed, hurt, at risk? Well, it's much easier to be compassionate if you have children. Statistically, most divorces involve children because people without children tend not to get married these days. So if you have children, you've got to build in hardwired avenue for compassion. And if you focus on what is best for them and see your partner as being a part of their lives, whether he or she was a good partner, you still want them to be a good parent. And if you're able to do that, it's much easier to generalize the compassion. See, the real reason you're compassionate, though, isn't for the person receiving the compassion. It's really for yourself. When you're compassionate, you humanize the other person. Even when they're behaving badly, even when they're behaving like a jerk, you recognize that they're doing it out of vulnerability. That doesn't excuse it or allow them to get away with it. But when you humanize them, you feel more humane. But when you're angry, you demonize them. And when you demonize them, you feel less humane. You lose touch of your own deeper values. And that's what causes the downward spiral. Your brain only has adrenaline to go on. It doesn't have endorphins anymore that you get from more humane behavior. You know, earlier you were talking about the power of compassion and how you are in a more powerful position when you're being compassionate. And you talked about a number of reasons. And I think what you're saying is that when you allow yourself to be compassionate to the other person and to yourself in a way, that it really gives you the use of all of your brain's abilities. And through that use of all of your brain's abilities, you have an opportunity to really make a proactive plan for how you're going to negotiate or navigate the conversation or whatever is happening. And that is a more powerful place. Whereas if you are in this uh, reactive, angry, demonizing place, that the tools that you have are much more narrow and uh, you don't really have much opportunity to pick how you're going to use them. Is that right? That's absolutely right, because of that narrow and rigid focus that anger creates, whether or not you're like that normally, most people aren't like that normally, but the anger creates that narrow and rigid focus, it amplifies and magnifies one or two negative aspects, and that's a distorting process. You're going to end up wrong, even if you start out right <laughs> when you do that. But the most important thing from a psychological standpoint is that when you're going through something emotionally harmful, like a divorce, but it can, can be emotionally harmful, you've got to hold on to your humanity because that will get you through it. Anger might give you the adrenaline to get through it, but you're going to collapse into depression once it's over, if not all during it. In fact, what people who go a long time on resentment or anger, their lives actually become a joyless drive to get things done. <laughs> You can function with resentment and anger because they have adrenaline in them, but you won't be interested in anything and you won't enjoy anything. In other words, you'll take the kids to the cleaners and drop the clothes off at the soccer game. You make a lot of mistakes, right? <laughs> but you won't be interested in anything and you won't enjoy anything. Anger has an amphetamine effect. It gives a spike of energy, but like any other amphetamine, it drops you down lower than it picked you up. You crash and you usually feel depressed after it. What I find with people who go for a long time on resentment or anger 
is that they have two emotional states. They're either resentful or they're depressed. There's nothing in between. That doesn't sound like a wonderful life. No, it isn't. And unfortunately, divorces take a long time, at least the traditional ones do. So you're going to be going on that kind of adrenaline for a long time. And what I tell people is every moment you spend resentful, you're not going to get that back at the end of your life. When you die and go to judgment, they're not going to say, oh, you see, see, you were resentful for 10 years. Go back and live that up over. That is very true. So it counts. Dr. Stasny, you have this and you talk about this technology of emotion reconditioning. Is that something that people can use to turn this resentful, angry feeling around to try to enjoy their lives more and lead more fulfilling lives? Yes, I think it's the only way to do it because by the time you're an adult, most of your emotional reactions are conditioned. That means you respond more or less the same way under the same circumstances and the same physiological state. And anger is an emotion that it's always an attribution of blame. In other words, the formula for anger is any vulnerable emotion. It could be sadness, loss, guilt, shame, anxiety, plus blame equals anger. If you take away the blame, it's those other emotions. And blame is the primary toddler defense. Two-year-olds start blaming. If you go into a room with a two-year-old and find the lamp broken, they ask what happened, he or she will blame it on someone. My daughter used to say, Jimmy, do it. She was an only child. That was her <laughs> imaginary friend. She's now a lawyer. She figured out the Jimmy defense wasn't very good. <laughs> we start blaming as a toddler. And it becomes a conditioned response. When you feel bad, you look for someone to blame it on. Some people will blame it on themselves. Usually in a marriage, you tend to blame it on the other person. Certainly in a divorce, you do. The problem with blame, it's not even that the other person's not blameworthy. The problem with blame is it renders you powerless of your own emotion. I feel bad and it's your fault. So there's nothing I can do about it. Bad feelings, like all of our emotions, aren't a punishment system. They're a motivational system. They're motivating you to act in your best interest. So when you see it as a punishment system being inflicted on you by someone else, the whole motivational system breaks down. I can't heal, correct, and improve. If I feel guilt, I can't make up for what I've done. If I blame it on you. So the psychological, in fact, one of the things I'm quoted the most for in the press is the road to psychological ruin begins with blame. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. We're speaking with Dr. Stephen Stosny today. He's the founder of Compassion Power and a renowned author and media consultant on relationships, anger, and abuse. And we're talking about the power of compassion and in the divorce process in particular. And Dr. Stosny, I think that we've been talking about blame and the really poisonous, I mean, that's my interpretation of what you're saying and actually my experience, the poisonousness of blame and how it really blocks the blamer from healing and growing through the, in this case, divorce process, but through any situation, I imagine. That's right. You have to choose between blaming and healing and improving because you can't do all of those. You either blame or you heal and improve. You know, and it's really my experience of working with hundreds of clients over the years that there really is a progression. You know, they come in blaming whether or not they blame themselves or blame the other person. And then there's a whole sort of process 
of trying to figure out what that means for them and then learning to like finding a time to let it go and embrace the rest of their lives in a much more forward looking way. And the people who are really able to do that and take that on and really actively work on it have the most successful post-divorce lives in my observation. Yeah. And it begins with self-compassion because with self-compassion, you're aware that the blame is harming you. Intellectually, you are greatly impaired when you blame because you're only seeing a few negative aspects and you're subject to what psychologists call confirmation bias. That means you will only notice evidence that supports your blame and ignore everything else. And a lot of research shows whatever the brain looks for, it will find. So if you're in a blamey mode, you're going to find something to blame on that person. But the cost is you're not creating value and meaning in your own life. You're just reacting to something bad that might have happened to you, but you're not able to overcome and heal from it as long as you're blaming. And how would you recommend that people start to let go of their blame? Well, you can't really let go of resentment. You've got to crowd it out with more value creation. You know, one of my favorite quotes in psychology is from Virginia Satir, who was writing back in the 1950s when we knew hardly anything about neurology, but she really hit how the brain works. She said that life is a garden with rocks and flowers. You can't do a lot about the rocks. That's what you're getting divorced about. But you can plant more flowers. And if you plant enough flowers, you won't notice the rocks. That's exactly how the brain works. What we've learned in neurology is focus amplifies and magnifies. Whatever you focus on becomes more important than what you don't focus on. And that synaptic connection actually physically grows. It becomes larger in your brain. So that if you're focused on blaming, that's all you're going to be able to do until you choose to focus on something else. So are you suggesting, Dr. Stasny, that people find other activities and focus on loving their children and developing new friendships or hobbies or other things that will take up their energy and their brain space in order to not focus on anger, resentment, and blame? Yeah, you see, your brain can't do negatives. You can't not focus on something. You have to focus on something instead of what you don't want to focus on. I'll give you an example of that. You're very cooperative, so you're going to cooperate with me when I tell you don't think about Mickey Mouse. <laughs> now, that doesn't work, but this will work. Think about Donald Duck. Think about when he jumps up and down and squawks and feathers flying everywhere. And while you're doing that, you're not thinking about Mickey Mouse. I think that's great. And actually, as you're speaking, I'm reminded of, you know, going to the, well, I was thinking of the gynecologist and lying there and having him say, okay, just relax. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. What could work is think about getting a healthy result of the examination. Exactly. And that it is over and you're completely healthy. That can work. That makes a lot of sense. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller speaking today with Dr. Stephen Stosny about the power of compassion. Dr. Stosny, if people are interested in learning more about you and your program, how could they reach you? The best way is for our website, CompassionPower.com, and you can email us at CompassionPower at CompassionPower.com. We really emphasize that word. It's one word because I think they're inseparable, compassion and power.
I really love that idea. I had never put those two ideas together in the way that you do in my mind until I read your material. And I really want to congratulate you on coming up with that. How did you? Well, it was survival. You know, I came out of a very violent home. My mother actually taught me about compassion. When I first started my career, I was researching very violent men, especially domestically violent men, because that's what my background was. That's what I grew up with. You know, the literature then was all it's power and control, men wanting to dominate. It sounded right. I asked my mother about it because she lived through it. And she said, no, everybody tries to control people you love. <laughs> Just wait. If you, if you doubt that, ask your children <laughs> what you're doing out of love. They're perceiving as control. She said, figure out why they can't feel compassion, and then you'll have something. And violent people almost always feel powerless most of the time. In fact, they see themselves as just reacting to bad treatment. They don't see themselves as treating others badly. They see themselves as being defensive. And the powerlessness comes from the inability to sympathize with a perspective that's not their own. That's how I first figured it out. And then it took a lot of research to establish the link. That's so interesting that the people who are most violent in our societies think of themselves as victims. And this yeah, wasn't absolutely. Right. Victim identity. And then the way that they're treated and the response that they get just, I would imagine, reinforces that. Yeah. And a lot of them were victims as children. And they, a victim identity is the source of most evil. You can be victimized and not identify with being a victim. That's just something that happened to me. The important things about me are my strengths and my resilience, not somebody else's bad behavior. That's the difference. People who identify with being victimized, they will always have a revenge motive. They always want retribution. They call it justice, but it's really retribution. Uh, because that is part of the victim identity. But it consumes them. They can't perceive themselves except as a victim. And you can't heal that way because you're focused on damage rather than on strengths and resilience. So, Dr. Stasny, for our listeners, if they're thinking about divorce or they're in the middle of a divorce and they're feeling angry or resentful or they feel that they're the recipient of great anger or resentment, are there any tools or strategies that you could suggest for them to deal with this unwelcome and difficult emotion in their divorce setting? Yeah, well, first they have to realize that if you react to a jerk like a jerk, what does that make you? They I'm going to, I'm going to guess with jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good guess. What I would like them to focus on is what the anger is doing to them, not whether or not the reaction is justified. It's never a question of whether anger or resentment are justified. The proper question is, do you want to be angry? <laughs> do you want to be resentful? Is this how you want your life to be? And almost always people say no. There's two quick ways to get out of that toddler brain and into the adult brain. One is instead of blaming, how can I make this a little better? Not how can I get back at that sucker, but how can I make my situation and my experience and that of my children a little better? Because the toddler brain can't solve any problems. It's just an alarm system. As soon as you start thinking of how to solve the problem, you shift automatically into the adult brain. Another thing is you want to be guided by your deeper values, not your temporary feelings. 
feelings will come and go, but your deeper values are really who you are as a person. And most of the time, anger is going to make you violate those. An even quicker way to shift in the adult brain than that is ask yourself, will I like myself better doing A or B? Well, I like myself better realizing that my partner is very out of control or that my partner is a demon, which will I like myself better seeing it. You know, I'm struck. I, I think that's really fantastic advice. But what about for people who feel like, well, I can't let him get away with it. I can't let, let him or her get away with that bad behavior. So I have to do something to you know, treat it or address it in some way. Well, compassion and assertiveness means you're going to act in your long-term best interest. That's got to be the guide, not to punish someone, but what is in your long-term best interest and the best interest of your children. If you can get back at them in your best interest, then, then that's okay. But most of the time, you're not. Most of the time, you're just going to keep escalating it until you get to a nuclear option. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think what you're saying is that when you address it, actually you're acting most of the time against your own best interests. So most of the time, yeah, yeah. You know, one of my favorite expressions about resentment is that holding on to resentment is like swallowing rat poison and hoping that the rat will die. It addresses that right away, right? It's yeah, just basically there's a lot of jokes about that. It's stabbing yourself to get at the person behind you. <laughs> setting yourself on fire so the smoke will annoy someone. Right. There's got to be something there with all that, right? And yet I think sometimes people say, you know, so common in our society when someone says, you know, I'm sorry, the response is instead of I forgive you is it's okay. And I think that's a really big difference. And some sort of along the lines of what we're talking about today, because you can say, I forgive you and acknowledge the wrongness of the act is different than saying it's okay, which means like, oh, it's okay, I give you a pass. I have to say this for people going through a divorce, because they get a lot of well-meaning but bad advice. When somebody's hurt, you can't really focus them on forgiveness. Forgiveness is really letting down your defenses, and your brain's not going to let you do that as long as you're hurt. But what you can do is focus on compassion. That's a humanizing way of seeing your partner's behavior and your behavior in context. And after compassion, forgiveness will eventually follow because compassion is the healing emotion. But if you try to, what I mean by, I should explain that, it's the healing emotion in that to deeply understand the hurt of another person is to heal your own. I think that's why compassion is so important to human survival. We didn't survive because we were stronger or smarter than other animals. It was because we could band together and risk our lives for each other. But that's getting off the point a little bit. The compassion will help you act in your long-term best interest and be the person you most want to be. Your only chance of having the life you want to have is to be the person you most want to be. I think that's very, very sage advice. And in the last moments of the show, Dr. Stasny, what advice would you have, quick advice for our listeners as the first step that they could take in learning more about this? Uh, well, go, go to our website, CompassionPower.com. There's a lot of free material in there, material on compassionate parenting for people going through a divorce. Uh, you know, the, uh, you've heard that saying, the first uh, victim of war is truth. Well, the first victim of divorce is, unfortunately, usually the children. 
Super. Thank you very much. And thank you so much, Dr. Stephen Stosny, for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. 